You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and joining me as always is my trusty co-host, Ben Triplett. Ben, what do you think about Pokemon Go? Go. Um, It scares me a little. This is a point at which I can be a little um, pretentious because I was doing it back when it came out when it was like super uncool and I got made fun of a lot in high school because I was a, you know, 17 year old playing a game where you collect little like animals and everything, everyone thought it was ridiculous. And back then it was like a game that nine year olds played. And this is before Pokemon cards. Even I know that that kind of, I, th- I think it became even more of a kid's thing when the Pokemon cards came out. So you're, but, you're saying back in the Game Boy days? Yes. Edu- Edumacate me. The brick, the brick Game Boy. Maybe not yeah. the brick. I think it was probably the smaller one right after that, the Game Boy Color. But yeah, so they, I, I bought it back, kind of back then because it was a huge Japanese thing, and I was really into like anime and stuff. So anything Japanese fascinated me in later high school, and just like three of us in our high school played Pokemon. And if anyone caught wind of it, you immediately got made fun of. You were supposed to be like a nine-year-old girl or something if you were playing Pokemon. And so we caught a lot of flack, but I mean, it was addictive and it was very fun. Um, it kind of captured the Japanese, I think, fascination with collecting things. <laughs> okay. um, I, don't know, I, I don't know if that's a thing, but I've kind of caught on that a lot of, at least recently maybe, there, there's just kind of a collecting fad in Japanese culture, you have lots of like quarter machines and things like that. So I think it kind of tapped into that. And now it's funny to see, I mean, you know, when I'm at the hospital, people, I I have like peers talking about it every day. And it's just surreal to me that, you know, quote unquote, cool people, or like, I guess, normal people or whatever, are talking about Pokemon. When, you know, 15 years ago, it was you would just get lambasted if you talked about Pokemon. Yeah, it is. This is like definitely like a 90s flashback that's happening right now. And no, I do find it fascinating. I was reading an article. They were even saying um, the amount of time people are spending on Pokemon Go um, is almost like double that of the time they're spending on Facebook or Twitter. Not all combined, mm-hmm. but like if you're looking at them individually, how much time people are spending a day on each of those. And Pokemon Go is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a huge overnight thing. I mean, I'm actually a little surprised. This There are moments where you just kind of step back and wonder what happened with technology. And this is one of those moments. I don't know how this happened so quickly, this like augmented reality thing. But it's like, it just, to me, it feels like overnight augmented reality is a thing now. Like it's like smartphones, like touchscreens. I know touchscreens were kind of a thing for a little while and they existed, but nobody thought it was cool. It was very clunky and just like out of nowhere, smartphones burst onto the scene 
and now you you can't go anywhere without seeing some sort of touchscreen thing. So I'm wondering if you know a year down the road, augmented reality is just going to be like a thing we accept as part of our world. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the touchscreen thing because I was like I was working at home the other day, and my youngest daughter came up and wanted to show me something on the computer, and she just starts touching like the screen of my laptop. <laughs> I've um, seen people do that before. Yeah, we're and it just it just hadn't dawned in her head because she's so used to using touchscreen stuff, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Right. You're this make- is broken." Yeah, because yeah, I mean, please more because I love smudges all over my laptop screen. That's awesome. Yeah, but um, no. So roping Pokemon Go and this kind of phenomena that's going into this, it wasn't going to be long before we had Christians that were out kind of lamb blasting it. Or lambasting it, maybe that's better. Or lambasting, which is probably yeah. like the next level of lambasting. Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean that's been happening because what's interesting is, I mean, you you end up seeing this because a lot of the Pokemon, I guess their gyms, are in churches, and so there's been this fascination with churches and municipality buildings. Um, but with this, it's really interesting. So this comes from an article, and we won't we won't dwell on this too long, but I just think it's too funny to to leave. Uh, it's an article by Hil- uh, Hillary Hansen called This Pastor Has Convinced Us That Pokemon Is Actually Cyber Demons. And there is Pastor Rick Wiles, um, who describes himself as like a conservative Orthodox Christian. Because, you know, he, you know he's the one that's getting it right. When people yeah. say they're conservative Orthodox, they're like, we, you know, we've got it perfected. The rest of y'all are just <laughs> all messed up. I've got my feet on the ground. Yes. And so on his, yeah. He, the, he, Sarcasm. <laughs> that was coming in hot. Uh, but, uh, no, and so what, what he, apparently he has a, a show called True News, which the, that whole idea of truth and everything else, but of course he's conservative orthodox, so he does possess the truth like no one else. Um, and so he suspects that there's something sinister that is happening, uh, with this Pokemon Go thing. And, uh, his whole idea, and this is what he says is, quote, uh, the enemy Satan is targeting churches with virtual digital cyber demons. Ooh. I know, and he believes that this thing is a magnet for demonic powers. Okay, Rick Wiles, Pokemon's been around for 15, maybe more years now. Yeah, but now it's magnetized with evil. I get, now, now it's on my smartphone, so it scares me. Yes. And, I mean, things, things like Pokemon have been around for a lot longer than that. Where you been, Rick Walls? I don't know, but I, just for me, I, I just I love how and you, we we talked about this a little bit, and I think we've got a, we've got a little room to do this talking about growing up in um, I don't know if I grew up say in a conservative Orthodox Christianity. We were just we were just conservative, uh, which just means we had our, our heads firmly up our rear ends mm-hmm. um, in regards to the rest of the world. And um, you'd ask me this question when we were prepping up for the show that you know what are things your folks said we're from the devil that we couldn't do or watch. And so my first one, I remember this, and this is even like, this is even more ridiculous, is the fact that I remember this, it was like a birthday. I got like a He-Man set. I got the full-on Castle Grayskull. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, like the drawbridge mouth, all that stuff. And it had, I mean, don't be too jealous because everything like I remember like on the box looks awesome until you realize it's just like stickers that you're putting down. Right. You know, and it's really just a huge hunk of plastic. But either way, regardless, He-Man was like, I loved don't, He-Man. Don't ruin my childhood. Sorry. I, you know, I loved it and everything else. And then a few months later, my mom, I think, comes home from some sort of church prayer meeting and has uh, apparently been told that He-Man is from the devil because, again, you've got Skeletor and uh, He-Man 
it's, I don't know, <laughs> is chanting and giving. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And so it was kind I of an, have a, the power. Yeah, and it wasn't like he wasn't saying Jesus was his power. So, um, <laughs> all the toys left the house. He was fighting a giant skeleton. Yeah, which I mean, which, which would be like evil. Good religious. I don't know, but it was just the. I think it was the fact that he had a magic sword, uh-huh. and well, actually, if you think back on He Man, for anyone out there that knows what we're talking about, I think Orko was an abomination. He was just annoying. Yeah, he was really. He was kind of like he was like a precursor to Jar Jar, floating like wizard-looking thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, that's not us being serious, but but what had eventually happened because of all this fear, it ended up just like miraculously all left my house, like you know, which (laughs) is like sad tear. My birthday present left the house because it was demonic. Oh, I don't know that it had a magnet. Yeah, for demons, whatever that means. I think that would just. Yeah, that would so be are de- demons metallic? Me. Is that what he's trying to say? Like they're some sort of. Are there other magnets? Because magnets can attract other magnets, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, um, so I'm, I don't know. So I'm Matt, not as versed in physics to be able to finish that. Thought. Well, that well, that's why this show is Snarky Faith, and we're not talking about physics. So, so what for you experiences? What were things that your parents were like? No, 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 this is bad. Um, definitely Dungeons and Dragons was one that I was supposed to steer clear of. Um, I wasn't given a ton of like rationale behind that i think yeah because there's like magic casting but it's funny because my parents also like i i rented um final fantasy well i I can remember playing dragon warrior with my dad and there are magic spells in that Mm -hmm. so i don't know I, i don't know if it's because you're actually you know kind of part of the process and you have to like act it out versus having a controller in your hand i don't know if that's the difference but yeah that was a big one and my parents i will say my parents were pretty tame in the you know i mean they weren't like beating me over the head you can't do this or that um in terms of like culture bashing but uh the one that i think really was a huge win when i actually started watching it was the simpsons um Mm. and it was really strange because i wasn't supposed to watch it for the longest time even i can remember being like 13 and 14 and my dad was just so surly if he saw me watching it and you know it was always this like struggle but when i hit like 18 ish he started watching it with me and he just loved Homer. He would so laugh. Funny. He would belly laugh at Homer because he's such a moron. Um, so yeah, that was a really strange one for me. No, that it, it is, it is. Fun. Yeah. I remember that. I remember the Simpsons were bad. It, it's fun. It's funny how certain things like this um, for a time and, and you know, you're a, you're on the doorstep for being a future parent. I've had a few years under my belt as a parent. You know, there, there's certain things that you kind of like, tighten up and there's certain things you relax about mm-hmm. like rules and other stuff like that too right and yeah it w- it's funny like that was it, it, mainly for in, in my situation my dad was not like he didn't pay attention to anything like uh-huh. like in that realm um but it was my mom that would be the one that was like would hear this in a church meeting and like you know i yeah. essentially didn't consume music until i was probably like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. which is pretty late in the game um for that just simply just because of that because you know all like contemporary music, unless it's like worship music or gospel music, is from the devil. Oh and, yeah, music. Um, music has always been the hot battleground. Yeah, I think especially since rock's inception. And so yeah, that was that. I remember that you know, being a huge no-no, which is just funny. Like I don't know if it was. I, I would say I, well, you can tell me if this is like hypocrisy or not with that. So my folks would be really tight on that kind of stuff. And I remember they would also. Um, I really hope they're not listening. This is stupid. But um, they uh, they put me on, like, I had, like, a Blockbuster card. 
uh-huh. and they like signed off that I could rent anything because because they didn't want to not for me. Oh, so you would go fetch. So I would go fetch it. So I would like gotcha. ride my bike to the blockbuster, You're like the butler, and pick. Yeah, I essentially was for that. Uh, which left <laughs> that's certain, a good idea. Yeah, but for me, then it was like, hey, 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 I can rent anything I want yeah. as long as I return it because they're not paying attention. <laughs> um, which is funny that you know you tighten you tighten down you ratchet down on certain things and other things they're like meh whatever. Uh-huh. Um, which I probably saw way more than I should have at a young age. Uh, having like like a, my blockbuster card freedom <laughs> <laughs> with, yeah. with that. Uh, versus uh, He-Man and other stuff like that too. I don't know, but we had like it was the same thing with us, like with Dungeons and Dragons, because I had a cousin that was into it, and supposedly his house burned—not supposed his house ended up burning down—and uh-huh. like the uh, conservative faction of uh, that side of the family believed, or not everyone in it, but certain people believed it was because of Dungeons and Dragons. That yeah, yeah, I, I can remember hearing on uh, Focus on the on the Family the like show because we live we grew up near a uh, Black Mountain radio station. Um, I guess the Black Mountain radio station, like the Christian station, and James Dobson talked about like a child that was playing Ouija with friends and. He got like possessed by the devil and, you know, ended up like killing one of his friends. And I, I can remember hearing that and it, I totally believed it. And I'm like, I'm not going near this. And one of my friends down the road had a Ouija board and he's like, hey, let's try this out. And I just like ran out of the house. I'm like, I can't be here. It just, I mean, it definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty gullible. Like I'm going to believe a lot of stuff the first time I hear it. So I don't know if that was part of the process. No, um, but it, with, it it is funny. Like when you think back about that kind of stuff that, you know, I, I will, because um, you made me think of like the, do you remember the Bloody Mary? Oh, yeah, kind of saying stuff? it in the bathroom, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking and, in the mirror. Um, All that stuff, like, I will tell you, I learned more about probably that kind of junk, uh, about swearing, about dirty jokes, and about women. I learned way more about that, I remember every year at church summer in camp. youth group. At church summer camp. <laughs> yep. I would like, that was, uh, we didn't need the internets back then because uh, it was kind of like, yeah, that was that was the hot ground. For yeah, me. I didn't watch like any of the Nightmare on Elm Streets or Friday the Thirteenth. I was, uh, I mean, I was pretty scared of them anyway. But uh, I heard like the storylines of every one of them at church, like in, in youth group. I mean, they would discuss them every Sunday. So it is, yeah. I don't know. I think I think some of that kind of stuff is really funny. That when we we end up being afraid of stuff, and then we end up trying to push and like lock down our kids and make sure they're not exposed to this, that, and the other. Um, I mean, the world's going to happen, you know. And, and at least in mine, and this will be my my segment for parenting advice for future parent Ben. You know, I think I I would rather some soft music in the background. I would I would <laughs> I would rather I would rather have my kids be well prepared for engaging the world around them than mm-hmm. hiding them. And then being shocked or surprised by it, or or even on the flip side of just them, because um, you know, you know this is like human nature. You tell somebody no, um, and especially <laughs> when you tell them no without explaining why. Like, hmm. well, like I want this. Why? Why can't I do this? What? Yeah. What can I come and do? Hmm. So you're not too worried about Pokemon? Oh, I'm not. I mean, mainly. I mean, that was my one. My biggest worry is because my kids have like devices, but none of them are connected up to cellular data. Mm-hmm. And so it'll end up being, Dad, can I use your phone? Dad, can I use your phone? So that, 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 that is really what I'm more worried about than mm-hmm. them actually being possessed by the demon magnets <laughs> on their phones. The Pokemon? Do you think they, like when the demons possess someone, they sing that? <laughs> Pokemon? <laughs> Gotta catch all the humans. It, oh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Gotta catch all the souls. I know. Like, let's zoom out on all of this. 
Are we really Pokemons for the demons? I think so. I think the demons are going around with Pokeballs, they, catching our souls. They're trying to capture our souls, which sounds more like Ghostbusters. Yes, like but less fun. Or at least, well, maybe it's fun for them. Less fun for us if we're being having. Or I don't even know. This is this is absolutely crazy. Pokemon. So, are you interested in Ghostbusters too? I mean, the new one. I'm sorry. No. Just Ghostbusters. I know we've discussed this on previous episodes, but no. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm alienating people, but I just, anything Melissa McCarthy's on, I'm just not super interested on. Her, her humor is so one-dimensional that I feel like once you've seen one of her movies, you've kind of got, and it, it's sad because I know we've talked about this before. Yes, in Gilmore Girls, she actually shows kind of some variety and you have like a, a character with some depth to her. She's more charming. It's just, I don't know, when she became a comedian, it just all fell into like one category for me. And it, I don't know. It's just, just falling not, down a lot. Not interesting. Well, it's just being brash. And I get that. I, I think it's kind of tough. I think this is way off the reservation. I think it is tough for female comedians because there, I think for, for women in general, there are like tons of lines of expectation of what you should do and shouldn't do. And so comedy is a way of breaking down the barriers. I get that. But to me, I don't know why, but I've always been very resistant to comedy that sort of like goes way beyond the barriers with no thought put behind it. Um, Sarah Silverman's kind of the same way to me. It's, it's just seems like there's no kind of planning or thought put into it. It's just, let's like go way over the line of this. Um, you know, South Park was that way in a lot of ways to me too. It's like, let's just race as far beyond the line as we can get. And for some people it's intriguing and fun. I just, I don't get it. And it's not my thing. So you, you would say that you want more intellectual humor. Well, I want, I mean, I like, I like Chris Farley, you know, I like ridiculous slapstick, you know, really silly stuff that doesn't take a ton of thought. It's just, I think that even in that there's, a lot of development of the character and why you should like it. Um, not just, you know, I'm going to spout off as much as I can kind of like Dennis Leary and, and stuff like that. It's just, let's just be brash and crass. And, you know, I don't know to me, there's just not a ton of, there's not a ton of difference between the people doing those things. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah. It's all sort of like the same method and it's just like the line is going further and further versus, you know, some people will cross the line, but they do it in a very intelligent way. You know, like Chris Rock was doing that. And, and, and he's in kind of a line of, of black comedians that are sort of pushing the, you know, Richard Pryor was, let's go over this line. But I mean, it's for a point. It's, mm. you know, we're not supposed to talk about this stuff about how black people are treated. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, you know, and if it were in that vein, I think I would like it a little bit more. But I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much about it. And maybe part of it, too, is that a lot of people like her right now. And that's an automatic turnoff for me sometimes. But I like how what you just did with that, Ben, because usually what we do is I, I have the hardest time trying to figure out segues when we're going from like point A to point B. Um, but I love how you talked about Richard Pryor uh, pushing a point, especially about how like African-Americans are, are treated in a country. And again, you know, we have, I mean, we've hit this really weird spot um, in, the, in the history of our country. And I, I, I've been asking, I've like, actually like going around asking folks that are um, a bunch older than I am. I'm kind of saying like, is this like, are, you know, is this my perception that things are feeling a lot crazier than normal? You know, versus, I don't know, because I mean, again, if we're talking about the, like, I, I, 
I've been around so many church people my whole life where it's kind of like everyone's like, this is the end times. Jesus yeah. is coming again soon. The signs. It's the yeah, signs. Yeah. But, but if you keep doing that year after year, it kind of like loses. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's, you know, the end times are about here. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't keep saying that for, I don't, I've heard that my entire life. And the funny thing is I've heard it from like the same people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I mean, it's a really bad prediction if... Like where you know, if you keep going, I don't know. It's, it's like just, you keep missing the prediction. It's like, well, I was a little bit off, but this is it for yeah. sure. This oh, time. but now it is. You know, but oh no, no, now no. Because and, of Pokemon. <laughs> um, but when I look at this, um, and I have, I've, I've actually been trying to ask folks that, you know, are, is this simply just due to my age and not noticing stuff before in life, or, um, or you know, because I mean, when you're like. Well, not everybody, but like when you're like 15 and 16, you're not really paying that much attention to politics, like on a deeper level. Yeah. You're not paying attention to world affairs or, or any of that kind of stuff. And so I didn't know if it's just that, you know, based upon the age I'm at, like the, you know, having kids of a certain age and all that other kind of stuff, like, am I just noticing this for the first time or it, has things kind of like ramped up and ha- has the crazy kind of gone off the charts a little bit, mm-hmm. um, especially in, in our country? And you know, when I was on my way over here, that's I was noticing too that there was like, uh, you know, the again with what happened in France, you know, the the flags are flying at half mast, and over at least over the last three weeks, I feel like there has been no reason to not. I mean, I'm double negating it up off the board, <laughs> but there's really not a reason to to not be flying flags at half mast because there's just been event after event after event after event, mm-hmm. and so I know I've been I've been talking to folks that are. Um, I, I've sixties and like seventies really just trying to ask this question: like, is this are is is every like season, you know, or every kind of like, is it always this crazy? And I'm just noticing it now. And they said no, because um, I keep hearing the same answer that this feels like the '60s, like the civil rights movement time, where yeah. there's a lot of pushing and pushing back, and there's a lot of just just deplorable things that are happening, and then people pro. So, so at least that that's what I'm hearing. Um, I don't know that that's completely true or not, um, or if I'm just getting limited perspectives on it. But it does feel like things have been a lot crazier lately yeah i actually heard an older person say the other day i i didn't realize what it, what was going on with the like live broadcasted bleeding to death of um oh like facebook live and periscope yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then um like right after that i think that the day after the shooting of the policemen or the police officers and someone saw that on on the news while i was working with them in their room and said, you know, ah, oh, we're headed to civil war. And I didn't, I didn't realize what was going on, but um, just coming home and kind of learning what was going on, I was like, wow, this is, this is getting pretty wild. I think another big difference, I, I was actually thinking about civil rights movement as well, but I mean, now you've got, I think at that point, media was much more controlled and sort of channeled through very specific things. And now media is all over the place. And you know, you really can see a new thing every single day. Yeah. Depending on who's shooting the camera, you know, and like where they are. And then you've got stuff going on overseas. So we're seeing different countries. Um, yeah, it just feels like news is coming at you constantly, like refreshing another story of something and something. So I feel like in that way, it, it's different, maybe a little bit more intense. But I didn't live in the 60s, and I know that that was pretty pretty wild as well. At least the feeling, like the vibes of it, because I think a lot of people felt more empowered at that point. They started to feel like they could do more. 
So I, I don't know if it's like a mix between that and technology at this point. Well, and I was, I was talking with some other, and this is, this is what's been interesting too. And you end up seeing this. And I think a lot of this came out of probably white Christians, the whole like all lives matter. Yeah. You know, which is fairly tone deaf. Well, I, I think um, I wouldn't even say like Christians. I think it's a, kind of a generational thing of people. Uh, there's just a generation that feels, you know, like whatever niche thing I'm a part of is important, you know, because identity is such a like huge thing now that it's like, you know, well, this matters and this matters. And yeah. So no, anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't You keep on with your train of thought. No, 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 no. But you're, you're right about that. But on the flip side too, like for this to for all this stuff, hashtag stuff to have been coming out, we also know it can't, I mean, the, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, 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 there's no way that it started from an older person. Do you oh, know what I'm no. saying? Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's very few people that I would know that uh, are retired and like just killing it on Twitter. Right. I mean, well, I'm not, there probably are like a handful, like two. I feel like, um, but that's like the silent generation that's kind of right up at the cusp of we're getting ready to switch and they're not going to be around anymore. Yeah. That sort of like World War II generation. Um, and yeah, I feel like because they or are even the, the boomers too. Well, the, I, I think the boomers might have embraced. I mean, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say they're about to die. I'm trying to say they're <laughs> they're not on Twitter. Yeah, they much. probably aren't. I feel like they might be a little more inclined to do that kind of stuff. Sure, um, because they're not quite as weirded out by technology. But and again, this isn't everyone. I, I think, but there are sort of like trends that happen. But I mean, in the silent generation, I, I feel like it is kind of a trend, like a cohort effect that you just don't really like talk as much as younger generations do about yourself and feel the need to be, you know, recognized for everything you do and every thought you have. So uh, anyway, no, no, I'm well, just uh, ruminating. I feel like I've had too much coffee today. <laughs> is, is there such a thing? Um, no, no, I would say that. I mean, or, or I will get to that point where I drink so much coffee. I start feeling sick. That's probably when there's too much. <laughs> Um, but I have not hit that. I've not gone over that crest yet. But when we begin to look at this, I was having a conversation with some, um, cause we do like, I do discussion groups like around the area here and some, it, it was good. It was a really good conversation to where, um, one person really wasn't understanding the distinction between black lives matter and all lives matter, mm -hmm. you know, um, that it really has to do with context and with the situation that's going on. I mean, I, I think that overall they were having a hard time seeing that the idea of black lives matter um, isn't simply just saying black lives matter and everybody, you know, just screw all the rest of y'all type right, of situation right. at all. Um, but it's simply about, you know, it, it's kind of a situation to where when, if we say like all lives matter, if we do this like on like on, on a math chart, so let's just assume that, you know, everything's like at a zero. So all lives matter, that's a baseline for us. And I feel like a lot of the African American community feel that they're probably at like a negative 50 beyond that. Yeah. You know, so I think that protesting and being able to, um, bring stuff into the consciousness and into the conversation and into advocacy, hopefully brings them closer to sea level, whereas the rest of us just assume, well, of course, like, that's just how life is. And so, and it was, I mean, it was, it was a good conversation I had because the other person hadn't thought of it from that direction. They just assumed that they were trying to say, well, if Black Lives Matter, that means they matter more than others, which, right. which is, I think, that the, the kind of tone-deaf nature that the whole All Lives Matter... Um, I don't response. I mean, because I wouldn't say it's necessarily a movement. I don't think there's great groups of people yeah, out there yeah. that are that are protesting and doing the other kind of stuff. Because I don't, for the most part, I don't call social media like that. I don't. I don't call that real advocacy. Mm -hmm. You know well, what I mean? Like if I can sit on my butt and type some stuff out and send it out into into the 
on a Twitterverse or into Facebook Landtopia or whatever that is. And, you know, I, I, and it, it was required very little of me. Yeah. You know, but I think that when I'm actually putting my feet on the ground, when I'm actually doing stuff out with people, you know, that kind of advocacy, um, and I'm not saying people voicing opinions doesn't create change, but I think it can't simply just be that. It can disavow you from doing things. Yeah. I think that's the big danger in just talking is that saying, I mean, it feels good to express yourself, but then that can, you can sort of relieve all of your pent up sort of energy towards something and just saying something about it. And then that's always to me been the, the greatest danger of, I mean, not uh, protesting, I think does have its place. Um, I think it's kind of, an important like cultural piece in the United States. Um, but then, you know, things like uh, campaigning or yeah, just like posting stuff on Facebook, but to get back to the um, all lives matter versus black lives matter, just kind of a different way of saying that. I feel like black lives matter. It responded to something very specific. Yeah. It's, it's coming out of something that's happening. That's very grounded in a problem. Versus All Lives Matter or whatever spinoff came from that was more of it. You said like a response to or a reaction to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And it almost like usurps it and sort of waters it down to saying, you know, then it becomes about something different. Whereas Black Lives Matter, I don't think people were like you were saying, I don't think they were trying to say that Black Lives Matter more. They were trying to say, okay, so this is going on. You know, you have like institutional racism and, and this, this and this. And we want to say that that's wrong. Um, and I mean, like white people were, I think, kind of jumping on board with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So I think that even is a signal that people are not trying to say that, you know, Black Lives Matter more than white lives or something like that. Because I, I think that's where a lot of the pushback comes is that people feel threatened, you know, that just because someone's standing up for themselves that it somehow like tears them down or their identity down. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I just, to me at least it was just like, Hey, let's all point at this and say that this is wrong. Like this is a problem. Yeah. But then to say, you know, well, all lives matter or like this group's, this group matters, this group matters. Then you just get a total watering down and people, you you lose that sort of power of paying attention to a, a specific thing or a specific problem. When you, I mean, well, with that, I mean, because even that's, especially after the shooting of the, of the policeman, you know, recently. I'm sorry, police people. What is, what is the crime? Yeah, I know. That's what uh, I, I kind of call police myself officers, in that too. Police officers, yeah. Um, you know, with that, that, then people are doing like the Blue Lives Matter and all this other kind of stuff. And, and I think that when we, when we get so hung up in the specifics, you know, of that, um, I think that we, what it does is it ends up blinding us to the problem that started the whole conversation. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, when we begin to see that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's gotten to the point in this country in many ways, it, it feels like that, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, that, that, that uh, like a lot of like, especially like with, um, well, institutional racism, but when you begin to look at the situation to where it feels like a lot of African-Americans are kind of, uh, guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. As opposed to innocent until proven guilty, you know what I mean? Like it's starting toward... starting from a really tough position. It's yeah. like not starting from the same starting point as other people. Yeah, and that's what you're like already behind the eight ball before you're making like you know decisions and judgments and things. Well, I mean, on top of it is, or because I can't imagine this. Like I really can't. Like I mean, there's probably been times in my life where I felt little ounces 
like tiny little drops of some of the stuff, but I can't imagine uh, fearing for my life. Yeah. Um, when I see a cop car or if I get pulled over, like just, just you know, having it run through my head, I might die right now. Right. Like I, I, I've not been in a situation like that really ever. And so, you know, so for me, it's hard to contextualize, but, you know, I can say, and, and I think that like, you know, connecting this with faith, which I think the church in many ways, I mean, I think there are, there are pockets out there that are doing things that are wonderful and great to be able to step in um, and, and help, uh, you know, our different sisters and brothers like across the country that, that are hurting, that are being oppressed and are doing all of this. But I think by and large, you know, what ends up happening is we end up just saying that, and I, I feel like we, we give very cheap answers mm-hmm. as a people of faith for very complex, uh, very, um, I don't know, very tough problems. Yeah. You know, or what we'll do is we'll have like, because I've seen this, like you do this at the beginning of like a church service, you know, or something like that. Let's have a moment of silence. Let's, let's pray for those who were shot in Orlando or who were shot in Dallas or who were shot, you know, here. I mean, we, we kind of have that, but then we move on. Right. Um, so it it's ends like up we being, did our duty. Well, it is. It ends up making me feel kind of like, you know, the whole idea, especially in the Catholic Church, of like confession, you know, like, as long as I go and say it, mm-hmm. it's off like, oh, I feel so much better. I just don't have to worry about this anymore. Right. Um, you know, it just, you just kind of, or like tearing a Band-Aid off. Well, let's just get this over with, and then we can move back to our, our, our everyday lives. And, and I think that when we begin to, to look deeper into the faith, and we begin to look deeper into, like, what kind of lives or what kind of like ethics or what kind of way that Jesus has called us to live from, I don't, I don't, I don't think we can be, we can absolve our responsibility in issues like that with a simple prayer and walking away afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, or feeling sad. Cause Jesus saw problems and he looked at them and then just prayed. Yeah. And then, and then it was like, oh. and then he went on. Okay. Keep moving on. That's good. I mean, because no it is. I mean, we've talked about that. I mean, that ends up being one of like the most. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of one of those cheap Christian responses and stuff. Oh yeah, let me pray for you. About that. Yeah. Like, and and that's you know that's even on a personal level. And I think a lot of I think we've trained ourselves to use these words that we really don't know what we mean. Um, because I, I do think that I mean, we'll go ahead and tell you guys, which we probably should have told you at the beginning of this episode. Uh, this is probably going to be a two-parter. Not probably. This is going to be a two-parter because I feel like this. This conversation ends up being um, there's a lot more to unpack, you know, in the midst of this, because um, I think we want to talk to like the idea of prayer versus action, um, and how in many ways, and I guess we're going to kind of crisscross and, and and weave our way through a lot of this kind of stuff. But um, you know, I think that what we're what we're called to do, I mean, I think that we're called to something more than praying. And again, I know some people will get mad and say, "You don't understand. There's power in prayer." I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that, you know, there comes a time, I think that, you know, we can pray all we want, but I think God also calls us to, to make change happen in the world too. Because I think, I think we can, you can get into a mindset where, where prayer almost in a certain sense leads to inaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, 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 and it, and it just, it, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we can do because I mean, mean, there's many problems within American Christianity. You know, and I think one of them is that whole nature of just the my my own personal Jesus kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that somehow like I can just you know I'm in my room alone, me and Jesus, that's all I need type of a situation, and that that somehow that that our faith should um, force us. You know, I think to engage the world around us, not hide from it. Which hey hey, connecting at the very beginning of our show, I didn't think about that. But you know, we were talking about how Pokemon. <laughs> 
Yes, but like we're, we're, we're our folks would have this idea that somehow we needed to hide from the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that religion equaled hiding from the world for us to be able to stay pure and holy. But I think that you see that exactly the opposite in the way of Jesus, where actually he calls us to move into the world, to move into those areas that are dark, or those areas that are rough, or those areas that are messy, um, to be able to offer hope and healing in a place, and, um, and not simply just with words, but with actions as well, too. And to me, like, I mean, there's different instances of prayer in, in Scripture, and to sort of universally say, like, prayer is this or that, I think that's not nuanced enough, but you very, very often you see prayer sort of connected with people that are in situations where they've tried and tried and tried, and they've, like, pushed, and now all they can do is, like, beg for some sort of change, um, something else to happen. And I just don't, I don't really see uh, a lot of this sort of, you know, let's just, like, take five minutes in Sunday service to pray about this, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. even, you know, I'm going to take, like, a minute or two to pray about this right now. It's like, what's that connected to? Is it connected to you having heard something and, and you're like emotionally stirred? And so that's how you kind of act. That's what you like plug into to be able to invest your energy or your emotion in that. Um, or have you actually been doing stuff and you've been trying and getting really frustrated that you know, you've been pouring into something and, and, and trying to fix it and it's not helping. And so, you know, that's like a different situation. And to me, that's, that represents more of what you see in scripture. Mm. And I I think Christians have become disconnected and, and yeah, like you were describing in, in church services in the United States, where it really is sort of a, let's come together. It's, it's almost an investment in feeling good that you'd like, came together and recognized that it's a problem. But you did it within four walls, you know, and and hopefully maybe every once in a while I do think people get stirred and they're like, okay, I'm going to do something about this, you know, and they go to law school and they actually go and fight for this problem. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think for the most part, people, that investment of emotion in that moment of prayer, that's enough for them. And then they feel good. It, It sort of relieves. It's like a relief. And I just don't, that's not, at all what scripture is really describing in prayer. It's more of a, you know, it's a signal that there will be no relief Mm. until something happens, you know? Yeah. So it just, it almost doesn't make sense to me that that's what prayer has become or that's what prayer is. It should, you know, that, that you're praying about a problem means that that problem is probably going to be there tomorrow and that you're still going to be trying to fix it. You know what I mean? Oh, you're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, what, what it makes me think of, and so I'm going to, I know, Ben, that you will allow me to take a small rabbit trail <laughs> on this, because we've never done this before on the show. No, but I Pokemon. mean... Pokemon. <laughs> I'll quit doing that, I promise. <laughs> Actually, it makes me laugh every time, so it's fine. Um, so, so, but when you look at this, I mean, I think it, it stands back, let's take a step back, because we're talking about, and we do this quite often on the show, you know, the idea that American religion, American Christianity is flawed in many ways. And, and I think that some of this comes from the fact of even how we view church. Um, when we do this, we need to go to a place where we can worship God or learn about God, and then we leave that place and go back to our life. You know, where it ends up being somehow this religious space is, is a destination that we go to, and then there's the rest of life. You know, and like in a certain 
since, you know, this, there's the afterlife. That is where God lives, but we live down here. You know, and we, we do this, do, like, this, there's this separation of things. Mm-hmm. It's an and, escape. Yes. It's like watching a movie or something. Um, and, and so when I was even watching, they had some, like, some services that, you know, for racial reconciliation in Dallas after, like, the, uh, the police shootings. Um, you begin to see this, and you'll see, and, like, and again, we have lots of press watching this. We have lots of people turning out for this, and you'll have uh, black folks and white folks. We're all worshiping, singing songs together, and they'll say, look at this. We have become reconciled. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where the healing begins. But my problem with that is, I'll just go ahead and say this. I think those kind of things are, pu- I think they're fluff and they don't accomplish anything. Um, so, and here's why I say that. Um, I say they don't accomplish anything because what typically happens is you have your Sunday, but then there's a Monday morning. You know, that we've done this mm-hmm. and we've crossed these lines and we've gotten our photo taken and all this, what, regardless, even if it's on a smaller scale, like with this idea of racial reconciliation. But what, what happens is, you know, it may change for a moment, like, what our religious lives look like. Like, we're, oh, look, we're worshiping with people that have different skin color. But what tends to happen is it doesn't actually change how we live the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning that, does that mean now that I am going to go out of my way to spend now time with these people so that I'm, like, my regular rhythms of life are now with them? Um, are we breaking bread with them on a regular basis? Am I hearing their stories? You know, have they become part of my family? Have they become part of my tribe? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like for, for reconciliation to happen, it can't be an event. Like, it just becomes a rhythm of life. Yeah, and, and part of that, too, I think, is did it stem from something that happened before you came into the church? Like, were you connected with it before you came in and someone told you, you know, okay, or, I mean, I'm not even talking about hearing something on the news and it upsets you. Yeah, I mean, is this something that's been, you know, that you've experienced as something as part of your life? So to me, the key, the key word is like significance. Is it significant? Is it relevant to you? Um, and then I don't know, it, it connects you to it in a different way, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, because you can see stuff like, okay, we have stuff that happens where, where uh, folks get shot, where we see stuff happen like in Paris, we, you know, where a ton of people get killed. We see that and we're saddened, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we feel something. We have like a, like a tiny ounce of like empathy when we begin to see that. But I can tell you there's a difference between saying this is wrong and feeling bad about it um, in, that, in, in that kind of scenario, but then going back to the rest of life. Like if, if I, like I know this for people in my life, like if something like happens to my kids, like I've been in situations where they've gotten injured or hurt, like it's almost as if I got injured or hurt too. Right. You know, like I'm so invested with them like when they bleed, I bleed. When they hurt, I hurt. And and I think that I don't I don't think that happens. You know, when we're talking about like at least how we've kind of Americanized or publicized or whitewashed this whole idea of reconciliation, how we do this. I mean, we feel outrage almost in an intellectual sense, but we don't almost feel the outrage in a deeper soul sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that when that outrage is in a deeper soul sense for us, I think it moves us to action. And I'm I'm thinking of I was actually thinking of this this morning, kind of in response to what's going on right now. The difference between like why was why has Dr. King's legacy like changed the way that we talk about race or think about race? Um, and it has. I mean, it's had a really big significance on sort of our national consciousness. And I know that some people would say it's not. It's probably not enough. But he did have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And I think a huge part of that is. His life. It was, 
I mean, yeah, the man was a genius. I think that's part of it. He was just extremely intelligent, and he the way that he did things and and thought about his sort of trajectory of action was really well. It was well thought out, well planned. But he also lived it. I mean, it, it was part of it was like actually being with people. It stemmed from a life of seeing certain things that were wrong, and he connected all of these different pieces, and it had to do with his life. You know, it was. He was like marching with people. He was living with people, seeing what people were actually going through on ground level, you know, in their like businesses and um, in their everyday lives. You know, the uh, the streets they were walking, public transportation, um, you know, just the things that make up life. And he was there. He was living it with them. And that's just to me, that's so different than, you know, I'm going to like come from my life to this building. Yeah. And we're just going to like address this for a little while and feel, you know, we're going to get the feels for a little bit or like, or like we're going home and I'll, I'll let you rift on this one. Or like when the Senate has like a sit in. Oh gosh. And they're trying to like order it. orders donuts and donuts would be great. Uh, they also had catered dinners yeah. and bathrooms, you know, like I, right. I mean, when I begin to like to hear like what a sit in is like, it has to cost you something. Yeah. Besides, like, and this is a little bit of an inconvenience. I'm in the air conditioning, and I'm eating my catered food, and this is wonderful. You know, that kind of... Because I feel like when you begin to talk about Dr. King with this, I mean, you know, on some level, you know, you have to own your cause, but then at a certain time, I think the cause starts to own a piece of you. Oh, absolutely. You and know, it costs and, something. I mean, when you, yeah. have, when you have a rock thrown at your head, you know, for doing a sit-in, that's very different than... Let's get all the cameras over here and point them at at us as we sit on our own floor and, you know, have catered dinners. I mean, that actually sounds kind of fun. That sounds like a church, like, what? (laughs) It's a lock-in. Lock-in, yeah, Yeah. there you go. Let's, like, play crazy volleyball in blacklight strobe lights. Yeah. Except for when the Senate does it, you don't worry about if they're getting handsy with one another. (laughs) You don't need quite as as many chaperones. No, no, you don't. Well, you, I mean, maybe. You probably but, do. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that, like, again, I mean, think, think of this. So when we begin to talk about advocacy and change, I mean, like, the names that would hop in my head would be, like, Jesus, or, like, Gandhi, like, Martin Luther King. I mean, you begin to see people that, that owned it on such a deep level and had such a deep conviction. And I feel like that, and, and again, this isn't, like, railing against social media, but it is at, at the same time. I, I think that it... It gets tied in with with our need for immediacy, um, you know, with our need for like I want to feel this right now, mm-hmm. like I want I want to spout out about this right now, right? Um, but like the way we consume information and technology, um, or go looking for uh, Poke Gems, um, can I do that? Yeah, Pokemon. But, but like I feel like that feeds our need for immediacy, and and that and and the way that works is I feel like the in a certain sense, like technology kind of lends itself to make us all ADD a little bit mm-hmm. um, to where it's like, what's this? What's this squirrel, you know, type of a, type of a thing. And I, and I think that, and, and we get it through our news. How, how do we consume our news? Why we consume it in the fact that we, it's just constantly, it's, it's just a constant stream, a constant flow. And it's almost like we can't even let our brains in, uh, invest deeply in something. Mm-hmm. Um, and until we're on to the next thing. Right. And, and I think that, that some of this stems and it's not, I mean, I think this is A, a cultural problem, and then on the second tier of that, I would say B, it's also a church problem with that, is, is I feel like that we don't invest deeply 
in much anymore. You know, I think mm-hmm. that we spread around, and this is, I'll talk about this, I mean, like, just from a church thing, you know, I think that, think of it like this, like, if we're talking about things like missions, or, or outreach, or whatever that is, you know, I think that the, what churches like is they like to be able to have bragging rights, oh, we're feeding the homeless, oh, we're doing this in Uganda, oh, we're doing this over here, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the, one of the things that happens is, is if you don't invest deeply in any of them, you're just investing poorly in all of them. Yeah. And, and I think that the way, especially when we talk about faith um, and even action with that, I think one of like, the great sins of the church is that we don't invest deeply in things. You know, I think that we don't invest deeply in, in what is screaming and crying out at us outside the walls of the church. Right. Um, you know, and, and you're speaking very specifically outside of the walls of my church. Yeah, no, you literally, literally, like my yes. neighborhood. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. They, 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 no, that's good. That's a good. That's good clarity. Not yeah, um, because I again think, and I, we've said this on the show I, before, but it, and it's something that I mean, it's something that continues to come back to me, and and I think that for folks, and I think this is there is it, there's a travesty that begins to happen because we don't ask ourselves this, and and this is something that I I don't think that we teach people that would that that say that they follow Jesus to really have eyes like Jesus had, mm-hmm. um to be able to look at the world in a way um, to where we say, these are the places where Jesus would go, like in my community, like outside the walls of the church. Like, where are the hurting and the broken? Where are those people? How can we go there and not simply just say, here's a sandwich, because you're hungry, right? Mm-hmm. You know, again, that's that you're band-aiding a deeper problem. Right. Um, but we do it because it, A, can be a good photo op, like we were saying about how Congress does. You know, it's a good photo op. I mean, if they're, you know... Um, but unless we're investing deeper in these lives, these people, all we're doing is giving them a sandwich, and guess what? They're going to be hungry in a few hours again. Like, and we that, didn't fix that. And I think an- another question that pops up with this whole, we're kind of talking some about, like, altruism or service and those sorts of things that the church kind of does, but does halfway, um, that we, I, I don't think we often ask, like, where is, where, what, who is benefiting from this? Um, and that's something in, in reading more Nietzsche, I really appreciate. I think that's almost his like starting point for a lot of his conversations. It's to like, let's get down to the deepest level of like, who is the person that's doing this and are they benefiting from it? And are they doing it kind of out of like self-interest? And I think in, in our world, especially in the West, that like drives so much that people are, are really doing things in self-interest, it could, it, usually it's cloaked in so much other stuff that it's hard to like get down to, some people even just assume that everyone acts out of self-interest. Mm. I actually, I, I feel like one of the things that makes Jesus so different, and when you were, you were talking about like, like, you know, what is Jesus doing and how can we live like him? I think that that kind of at its base is, He's trying to not do that. He's trying to not act out of self-interest. That's the the point of service and that whole, you know, in Philippians, the point, you know, he poured himself out. I think that's part of it. It's like, let's ask where is our starting point and am am I doing this out of my interest, like interest in me, or am I actually trying to like benefit someone else in doing this? Um I don't know if we ask that question a lot because you know, when we when we do go on like mission trips and things like that and try to serve other people. It's not that we're not doing good things. You know, it's not that, you know, building something for someone is not a great thing to do, or, you know, I I don't know what all goes on in all mission trips. A lot of times it has to do with, you know, like handing out food, like you were saying. It's not that those things aren't good, 
But a lot of times I think we go, we do that for a week and we feel great for the year. And that's kind of what we plug into constantly is this, you know, I'm helping people and I know that I should be doing that. But then you're disavowing the rest of, you know, the year. Like where, where's the help the rest of the year for the people that you walk by on the street every day? Um, so I, I think if you sort of like tally the cost and, and risk and all that, that it's a very small investment and it's really in your self-interest. Um, part of that probably also comes from the fact that I watched The Big Short yesterday. <laughs> and it's, it's a good movie. Really sad to me. I love, there's, there's a moment at which, um, I don't want to ruin too much of it. This is kind of the beginning, like middle of the movie, so it doesn't give away too much. But Brad Pitt's character is this like banker that um, is no longer wanting to be a banker. And um, they're, they're like celebrating something that they've done with, with him. And they've like, you know, um, had some, you know, they got some gains from money. And he's really upset. And they're like, what's the matter with you? You know, we just gained money. And he basically says, maybe this is a spoiler, um, but he, he says, you know, but at what cost? Mm. Um, you know, you, we have just cost like so many people jobs, houses, um, you know, like de- just kind of everyday people, probably like the poorest of the poor are the ones who suffer the most off of what we just gained. So like tone it down a bit. Um, and I don't know. I think that's what it's, it's like. I don't think we really think that in depth about what we're doing. And and there's just sort of this under the surface, there's always this like self-interest that we're feeding that if we would just stop and maybe it's naive of me to think that, you know, we could quell that. But I feel like God is offering us something different in in the life of Jesus that he wasn't trying to not serve himself. He was trying to serve other people. Well, and um, just for you guys to know, also, I, we're gonna we're gonna cut this talk a little short because we are going to roll this one into next week because I think it's it's an interesting evolving conversation that we have here. That um, that yeah, I I, I want to kind of keep digging a little bit deeper on um, as we move through it. But I think that what you're also saying, Ben, is that I think that well, the way I'm looking at this as for long term change to happen. Um, what I think fights it, especially in the church, what, what the pushback from it is, is ultimately it's not very sexy to stay in a place like, and put roots down and be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it, you don't, it's, it's, it's not good PR. Um, it's not something we, oh, like, look at what we've done. We are still there doing the same thing and doing life. You know what I mean? Like, it, well, where else have you gone? What else are you doing? Tell us, stop right. talking about that. No, but because it's not sexy to stay. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, it, whether it's a movement, whether it is advocacy, whether it's in that, I think the whole thing is it's about investment and staying and seeing it through um, to a point where you don't matter anymore, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know. So let's put a pause on this one real quick. Um, and just a reminder, as we finished this broadcast, that you can always catch us on podcasts at www.snarkyfaith.com. Um, hop on. Hey, if you like this show, and you should, right? Um, go over on iTunes and uh, give us a review. Throw up five stars. Five is better than four. And uh, with it, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can email us off the website. Just remember, we love to hear your feedback. We love to hear um, what you're going through and what you want us to talk about next. But that is all we have this week, and we will be back continuing this conversation next week. We're out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. 
Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.